your stripes we are healed. Amen. Amen. I still believe he's a healer. Did, did we sing this last week? I love it. Can we sing it every week until people are like, oh my gosh, again? Like, there is a message in this song. Just to remind you, like, it's kind of gotten cool to think of God like he's dead. Do you know what I mean? Like, like he's Buddha, you know, like he's a statue, like he didn't come out of the grave. What do I mean? Well, people live like there is no God, like, well, God is, you know, well, I can do what I want. God doesn't care, but he does care. He does care. And after a while, Scripture says, and he gave them up to their uh, worldly lusts. He just gave them over to it. God does care what you do. And people live like God's dead, like, like he's not going to come and shake you to remind you that there's a better way to live. People live like it doesn't matter how the, you know, what the world does. Like we should be, God doesn't care. God doesn't care. And people are scared to talk about God. He's just, God's just your dead friend that you, that you don't talk about, that, that you know, nobody knows you follow him and you've got a quiet faith and that's all good. And then people get sick and they run straight to the doctor or get on tally med, tell, the, tell him, you know, I, I, I got this and you need to prescribe that because we forgot that he's alive and that he cares about how we live. He doesn't just care about what we do. He cares about the quality of our lives, that he wants to be involved in your life from Monday all the way to Sunday, not just from 9 a.m. on Sunday to 10 p.m. on Sunday night. And that when we're sick, he can heal. When we're depressed, he can lift up. When we're down, he can restore. When we're broken, he can heal. Amen. He's alive. He's still a healer. Amen. For me, when the world went through that kind of COVID season, that for me was the wake up call. Do I believe that God is a healer? And if I do, why would I give up living my life? Come on now. Church, he's still a healer. He's a healer just like he's still a savior. Because he's alive and he doesn't change. And by his stripes you are healed. By his stripes you are healed. At the end of this message today, we're going to have an um, altar call, and I hope that the sick will come as well, not just those who need a financial breakthrough. Oh, God can pour out his blessing if it's gold and silver. We'll say, come on, I, I'm not afraid to tell, I, I will pray for someone's healing on the street corner. Uh, I have prayed for healing at a cash register. And it wasn't my daughter's little uh, Barbie cash register in the basement. It was at Whole Paycheck or at Hy-Vee or something like that, right? Like, I'll pray for healing there. I don't care what the world thinks about me. I believe he's a healer. 
And I believe if you're sick that at the end of this service, you ought to get your butt out of your seat and come down the front and ask your father who is alive, amen, who, was, uh, who sent the son to die on a cross, come on, to pay the price for your sin and to heal your afflictions. You might want to come down the front and ask him to do a miracle in your life. I, I, I would never leave church with a headache that I haven't asked God to heal. Come on now. Just can't wait to get home and, you know, get that Advil. Uh, how about you pray before you go to the Advil? Come on, he's a healer. Amen. Y'all were getting a mini sermon before the sermon. I had a different mini sermon planned before the sermon. This is the mini sermonette, and then I got a mini sermon, and then I got a sermon today. You could say I've got three points, but I don't. I've got three sermons with one point each. Point one, he's a healer. And if you are sick, don't leave today without asking your father who cares for you to come and heal your body. Amen. Can he heal cancer? Yeah. Half the room's like, yes. The other half's like, that's a big one to start with. Can he heal cancer? Yeah. Can he heal leukemia? Yeah. Can he heal a brain tumor? Yeah. Can he heal a broken leg? Yeah. Can he heal a broken ankle? Yeah. Can he heal a headache? Yeah. Come on now. Then if you've got something wrong, you ought to come to the front after the service today and say, Lord, I need healing. Amen. Amen. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Yes. Yes! Advil. <laughs> sermon number two. What's the point of sermon number one? And in response to that, we should get down the front and get some prayer today. I only say that not because I want to like make you feel bad for not trusting in God, but I, I want you to live a better life as you trust in God. Amen. So come down the front. Today, um, I'm going to preach a sermon from Genesis chapter 20. And um, it's a familiar story. Even though some of you, if you've been in every Genesis sermon that I've preached in the last seven years that I've been preaching the Walking Through Genesis sermon series, it's more like, uh, I think it's been one year. Um, oh, you'll be glad to know that it looks like we'll be finished by, before was it before uh, the end of next year? We've planned this sermon series out. And um, I think it was more like October, wasn't it, that we'd have it finished. So, so before then, so that would be good. But if you've been in them all, the story I'm going to talk about today is going to sound really familiar, okay? So as I read this, know this, we haven't actually preached this passage, but it's going to sound familiar. Genesis chapter 20. It says, and from there, Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar, and Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Been there, haven't we? That's like, wait, was that Genesis 12? She's my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. 
Now, Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she's my sister, and she herself said, he's my brother, and in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hand, I have not done this. Then the Lord said to him in a dream, yes, I, I know that you have, uh, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I that kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now return then the man's wife, for he is a prophet. Number one, let's just pause. I'll give you a, 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 a mini sermon after the sermonette before the two other sermons. How fascinating is this? Abraham's been a total jerk. And God's like, that's a prophet. Can I tell you that whatever plan God had for your life, you didn't screw it up. He's still got the same plan for your life. Come on now. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've seen, God's got the same plan for your life today as he did before you did any of that. It'd be good to repent and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to go your way from now on. Can I get an amen? But his plans for your life have not changed. Scripture says that the plans of God are without repentance. That doesn't mean you should not repent. It means regardless, God's plan for you, should you repent, hasn't changed. Where was I at? Against me. Now, return that he's a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, you shall surely die and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called in his servants. He told them all of these things, and the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham to him on the phone. Get here now, dude. Uh, what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought this upon me and my kingdom? A great sin. You have done to me things that ought not be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did these things? And Abraham said to him, I did it because I thought there was no fear of God in all this place and they will kill me because of my wife. And they'll kill me because of my wife. And Abimelech's like, just get out of here gives him some coin and some money and whatever else. It's a crazy story, isn't it? Heavenly Father, I just um, thank you that A, your calling is without repentance. That is that no matter what we've done, where we've been, what we've seen or said or thought, that the plans you had for us in the beginning are the plans you have for us today. The call of God on our lives, so to speak, is the same now as it was then. But God, help us to behave better. Help us to see it happen sooner. God, to do the right things with our lives, to see in Scripture the warnings and the guardrails, to help us live a better life that is a better example to the world of what it means to be a Christ follower. And so God, I pray today from Genesis chapter 20 that we, as we study it today, as we look at it a little bit, as we're inspired by uh, that, um, that you would uh, help us all to leave here better than we came in because we spent a moment in your word. So God, I pray this in your son's name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. Come on, can you high-five one of your neighbors and take a seat? So actually, um, 
<coughs> my week was planned, my, my weeks, my calendar gets planned a fairly long way in advance. And usually I, I sort of roll into a week being told what to do by my assistant. And uh, like, hey, you've got these things on this week. And I mostly do what I'm told. Because um, most of the things that are in my calendar are things that I said yes to either you know, six months ago or <laughs> six weeks ago or six days ago, whatever else. This week was planned when I was under the impression that Sean Foyt was going to be here tonight and that him and I are going to have a Q&A. And that means that my whole week had things just filling it up. Uh, I was away for a couple of days. Uh, I was, uh, where was I next after that? I don't know. I've been everywhere. I've been everywhere, man. Been to Pella. Anyone been to Pella? We're a whole bunch of people that were born in the United States to people who were born in the United States to people who were born in the United States to people who were born in the United States think they're Dutch. <laughs> and so I find it hilarious. Uh, I moved from Australia. And in Australia, if you tell someone that you're Italian, that means you were born in Italy. Um, in America, you can be Italian if, you know, if 147 years ago an Italian managed to stumble across the new land and, um, and then had a whole bunch of descendants, and now you're Italian, apparently. And so I always found it hilarious when I moved here, and like half of Iowa tells you they're Dutch. And like my, my father-in-law's Dutch, because he was born in Holland and uh, in the Netherlands and then moved to Australia. And to you, he sounds Australian. To me, bro sounds as Dutch as they come, right? And, um, and so, like, so that's Dutch. And my, my daughter, we say her dad's Dutch, but she doesn't say she's Dutch. She was born in Australia. And so uh, I found it hilarious here. Everyone's like, I'm Dutch. So I don't even know why I'm telling you this, but um, I was in Pala this week. <laughs> and, um, and that, I was telling you, right? That's right. I'm just rolling back into this. Because that meant that my sermon, <coughs> excuse me, um, I'd read Genesis chapter 20 a whole bunch of times, but it wasn't until uh, today, this morning at about 9 o'clock sitting in St. Kilda Cafe and Bakery uh, in Valley Junction, I um, actually put pen to paper and wrote a sermon. Uh, I had already preached a, a, a mini sermonette uh, at Men's on Thursday, uh, but I felt the Lord lead me another direction today, and, and I'll give that to you in just a moment. But before I get to the main point today... Um, in this disjointed and rather unorganized sermon, um, I want to talk first about the, Abraham's response to Abimelech, okay? I find it fascinating that we have this story about a man having a smoking hot wife, saying she's my sister, almost causing another dude to sin, uh, to stumble is probably the New Testament vibes for that, right? Like causing someone else to stumble. Um, and then God comes up and talks to that bloke. And then that guy's like, goes to Abraham and is like, bro, what on earth? Like, what did I do to deserve this? And, and Abraham says, well, I did that because I thought there's no fear of God in all of this place. And they will kill me because of my smoking hot wife. And um, so, so Abraham says, I lied about who she is because I thought that there was no fear of God in this kingdom 
And I thought that because of that, all you ungodly people would kill me to take my wife. But it's, an, it's, it's a strange thing to say, because it, and it just doesn't sit right with me entirely, because as I read Genesis chapter 20, and some people might say, well, he was a pagan, or he was this, or he was that, but when I read about this Abimelech, not the Abimelech that's in future generations, but when I read about this King Abimelech, it doesn't sound like an ungodly guy to me. It doesn't sound like a guy that, 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 that doesn't believe when God speaks. It doesn't sound like a guy that doesn't fear the Lord. Because God comes to him, and immediately he is Lord. He's calling him Lord. Lord of my Lord. The one who rules. Immediately he says, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say? And then God spoke to him and said, yeah, I know that you've done this with integrity in your heart. And it was me who kept you from sinning against me. So we've got God caring enough about Abimelech to prevent Abimelech from sinning against Some people say, well, he's protecting Sarah. But in this, he said, I, I, I prevented you from sinning against me. God cared enough about Abimelech to prevent Abimelech from sinning against God. And Abimelech's response is to immediately listen, repent, say sorry, and then say, yes, Lord, I'll do everything you said. That doesn't sound like a man who does not fear the Lord. So I was like, so Abimelech, at least on surface value, appears to be a man that fears and honors the Lord, right? But Abraham says, when I rolled up into this kingdom, I didn't think there was anyone that feared the Lord. But then even Abimelech's servants were grieved in their hearts the moment they realized this. So it seems like at least the king and perhaps some close advisors, perhaps, did fear the Lord. So it's like, why did Abraham not know that there were in fact people here who appear to fear the Lord? Now, I'm not saying this is the main point of my sermon, and it's absolutely not. It's just something I got thinking about. And I wonder if Abraham not knowing that anyone in the kingdom feared the Lord, including the king, when in fact they did, and he did too, I wonder if that's what happens when you have a quiet faith. When you believe, but you don't tell anybody. When you believe, but you don't ever talk about it. See, we're told in the word to, to praise him with the harp and praise him with the lyre, not the lying people, the liar, the instrument, all right? Uh, to praise him, to, to make a joyful noise and to praise the Lord, all ye hosts in triumph. Like with that, but, but, but here we have a man who uh, uh, appears to fear the Lord and obey him, but then we have someone coming into the kingdom thinking no one fears the Lord and starts behaving in an ungodly way because he doesn't realize people here actually do fear the Lord. And I wonder if that's what happens around us when we live a quiet faith. Actually, um, um, I've got to remember now which prophet it was, but there was a, a, a prophet that heard God and God spoke to him and, and, and told him uh, what he needed to tell the people. And God says, if you don't tell them, if you don't speak up, I'll kill them and their blood is on your hands. Yeah. 
because you didn't open your mouth. And so I wonder here if this is a situation that's created when people believe or when people fear God, but don't have the courage to speak up and talk about God. And then people do ungodly things around them. And I wonder what kind of ungodly things are people comfortable doing around you because you have a quiet faith. I would rather, instead of calling it a quiet, because people think, well, we've got to live a quiet life. No, yeah, that's the life that's not seeking to have uh, chaos. And that's the life that's not seeking to, to, to have confrontation for confrontation's sake. That's a quiet life. That's okay. But people who have a quiet faith, maybe we maybe could better call that a timid faith. And they don't talk about it. I find that around those people, people do ungodly things. I remember before I became a bit bolder in my faith, you know, sort of pre-2020, um, when I was like, you know, we'll just tell people how much Jesus loves them. And, you know, and so every weekend you come to Eternity Church and you hear that Jesus loves you. And, but then we, we hope you come back next week so we can remind you how much Jesus loves you, just in case you forgot from the week before. But then after that week, we're going to remind you to come back the next week again so we can tell you again that Jesus loves you. And then every week he loves you and he loves you and he loves you and, 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 and that's it. And back when we preached like that, before we had the courage to actually say that God actually wants you to change your life, that God actually wants your life to begin to line up with the Word of God, before that, wouldn't talk about alcoholism, wouldn't talk about homosexuality, wouldn't talk about abortion, wouldn't talk about, about how we vote, wouldn't talk about anything that might be deemed a little bit controversial, right, because I had a timid faith. And it was amazing the ungodly things people would either do around me or talk about around me. I'd go to weddings, I'd do a wedding. I'd marry people and they'd get drunk in front of me. They'd get drunk in front of me. And in my heart, I'm like, why? Why will people do that? And you know why? Because ungodliness was comfortable around a timid faith. Because ungodly behavior is comfortable around a quiet faith. And I don't want to have that kind of faith. And what I've noticed though now, after sort of that, that awakening that God gave me where he shook me and he reminded me what the call of God is on our lives to equip the saints and make disciples, amen, that after that, that, that when I go to a wedding now, I've noticed that, that, people, that the people who, who know me aren't getting drunk around me anymore. Now, I'm not here having to pick on on anybody that, that has a beer or has a drink here or there. Formulate your own opinion on that topic, all right? I'm not here to say alcohol is sin, but I do know that, 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 that drunkenness is sinful. So what was it about my life that made that okay for people? What was it about my life to make it, people to feel okay to celebrate having an abortion around me? What was it about my life that made it okay for people just to, to wave pride flags around me? What was it about my life that made ungodliness comfortable? It was because I was timid in my faith. And when people are timid in their faith, ungodliness gets comfortable. And I want you to ask yourself before I move on and preach a whole different sermon. What is it? This is what happens when you get me un. Prepared. Normally I attend like 20 hours on a sermon. You got seven today. It's not polished. <clears throat> what is it about my life now that people are comfortable doing? 
What, 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 what things in my life are people comfortable behaving in an ungodly way around me? Are people comfortable making filthy jokes to me? Hey, jokes are funny, but Scripture literally says lewd joking is wrong. So is that cool? Do I send them on? Do I talk with Like, what are people comfortable doing around you? And then we need to ask ourselves, why are they comfortable doing this to me? People say things, oh, they're such a gossip. All they ever do is gossip. The question is, why do they always gossip to you? Why are they gossiping to you? Must be a safe place to gossip to. Come on now. Hello. You got a boyfriend? You got a girlfriend? Gentlemen, you got a girlfriend? And she says we should move in together. What is it about your faith that made that statement okay to say? Come on, boys. What is it about your faith that made it okay for her to suggest to you that you join her in adultery? Go back to the gay topic. Now, how about we just do the whole word of God? Can I get an amen, right? Hey, 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 if you've moved in with your girlfriend, I love you, I'm glad you're here. You can't afford to move out. We just can't afford it, our finances are together. I will help pay your rent. But I reckon if we look at your budget, you can't afford to be godly. Come on, we can afford godliness. Can I get an amen? Godliness isn't expensive, it's way cheaper. It usually doesn't end with you having to give half of your house to someone you hate. Godliness is way cheaper. Can I get an amen? Come on, somebody, right? Even if you don't take any of that advice, come back next week. And let me tell you how much Jesus loves you. And also how you still should move out or get married. We're just waiting. We're just waiting till everything works out with our finances. We, we look. We know. We, like we want to honor God when we can afford it. Really? It's like people say that with tithing. We're gonna tithe when we get to this point, and they just never do. Like, do you know the best time to start honoring God in your life is today? <laughs> can I get an amen? Today. Can I get an amen? Today, can I get another amen? Right, but if you don't, this is a good place to be because we do love you and you're welcome. But I am not here to make you feel bad about yesterday, but to challenge you about what are we gonna do today? What are we gonna do today? You know what, maybe you're gonna sit in this sermon you're gonna be like, you know what? I have two bedrooms in this house. Step one, that's your room, this is my room. We can honor God in this house. Amen? I want to encourage you, no matter who you are, no matter what you're doing right now, ask yourself, what is it about my life that makes ungodliness palatable to the people around me? Amen? And then today, if you're like, you know what? I do need, I'm feeling convicted, either about things I'm doing or things that have become okay around me. Come and get prayer and we'll pray for a fire in your heart and a boldness in your spirit where you can start talking about 
your Father in heaven and his word to us. Amen? Amen. But today, after that introduction, I am sorry. I, I, I was talking to Amanda beforehand. She's our worship leader. She goes, so um, what are you going to preach on? I'm like, well, either this or this or this. And I'm not sure in what order. I'll do it better tomorrow because I'm not preaching. Today, the title of my message, though, is Flashback. Because as we're reading this passage, it gives you flashbacks, doesn't it? Right? To Genesis chapter 12. You're like, hold up. I'm pretty sure we've already preached from this chapter in this Genesis series, right? Like, you remember Abraham rolls up with his smoking hot wife, and he does that Borat thing. She is my sister, you know? And then the king takes her as his wife. God convicts everybody. The king gives Abraham some gold and some silver and some treasure. He gives his wife back. We've heard this story before, right? Like this exact story before. We've heard it. And you would be correct. We're having flashbacks. It's Genesis chapter 12. It goes like this, right? Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. He was about to enter Egypt, and he said to his wife, I know that you're a smoking hot woman in appearance. Uh, he actually says, I know that you're a very beautiful woman in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will, say, they will say, this is his wife, then they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. So say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, uh, and for her sake he dealt well with Abraham and gave him sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels and all this stuff. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife, or at that point, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and get out of here. So Genesis chapter 12 Abraham lies, omits, hides the fact that Sarah is in fact his wife because he's scared that when people see how pretty she is that they'll kill him to take her as their wife. So he formulates a plan, not a plan um, to stop her being taken, mind you. And this is the, the, the craziness of this passage. He doesn't formulate some kind of masculine plan to protect his family, <clears throat> okay? No, no, no. He formulates a plan to protect himself from being killed, but she still gets taken. It's all part of the plan. They're going to take you, but at least they won't kill me. And he says, she's my sister. This lie or this omission, this hiding of the truth causes all sorts of pain and drama and hurt for Abraham, the king, uh, for Abraham, for the king as well, for Sarah and all their people. Then as you see, they're kind of forced to hightail it out of the kingdom and the king sent men to follow them and be certain that they leave. That's Genesis chapter 12. Now, after Genesis chapter 12, because in Genesis 12, they find themselves in chaos, right? In a lot of chaos, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of drama. His wife has honestly been prostituted out as she's being used for her beautiful body while he's being paid with camels and servants and gold and stuff. It's a horrible story, absolutely horrible story. They're in chaos. There's heightened emotions. There's anxieties. The 
intensity of those lies and omissions are causing pain in their lives. But then after that happens, the, uh, they sort of deal with the problem. Well, they don't really deal with the, they deal with the symptoms, right? And so what they do is they hightail it out of Egypt. Now the symptoms have been dealt with, the cause of the, but the cause of the pain, the cause of the drama, the cause of the hurt has not been dealt with, right? And then it just flares back up again at some other point, doesn't it, right? So he has this big problem, heightened emotions, everything's going crazy, anxiety through the roof, we all might die, the king hates us, but then it passes. In that moment, you probably think to yourself, I probably shouldn't do this again. Come on, who's been there? Right? When, when it's all up here, you're like, this was probably stupid. And, and I should probably not say she's my sister next time. But then the drama passes. The moment of intense pressure, fear, or whatever, it, it's passing. And we do this all the time. People do this all the time. In the workplace, in the school, maybe at school, you've got homework that's due tomorrow, and it's intense, and you're freaking out because your homework's due tomorrow, and you've got to go get it done right now, and it's 10 o'clock at night, the day before your homework's due. And right then and right there, you're thinking to yourself, I should probably do my homework earlier next time. Come on, anybody else, right? Like, like I should probably pay attention to this before 10 o'clock the night before my assignment is due next time. I'm going to do better, but then we get it done and we hand it in and the intensity and the drama and the emotions all sort of pass and like, ah, you know, and, and, and then we're like, what, what do we do now? We just, well, it's the, the emotion and the anxiety of it's gone, so we just move on. Without really asking, why did the intensity or the drama even arrive? Well, because of poor planning, procrastination, laziness, or whatever it was. And in that moment, passes, the urgency's gone. We don't fix it at all. We do it with our health, right, all the time. We go to the doctor, and the doctor's like, you need to lose weight, or you need to stop drinking, or you need to stop smoking, or your cholesterol is through the roof, and we're like, I'm going to fix this, because otherwise I'm going to die. But three weeks later, we're still alive, and we're like, it's not that bad. We'll be all right. Come on. Right? Like three weeks later, it's like, it's, it's not such a big deal. You know, well, I am still here. It didn't kill me. I'll be right. And the, the heightened emotion of the moment has passed, so we don't deal with what got us there. Recently, I went to the doctor. Every single year, I, I have a, um, a cardiologist appointment, and, and, um, and, 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 and honestly, sometimes it messes with my head, and sometimes it doesn't, because I had heart surgery when I was young. I got a zipper from here to here, and, um, but I can ride bikes. I can go, I can do 100 miles in one day, and I've done that many times, and I love it. I lift weights, and... You know, uh, I'll go for runs, and, and every year the doctor tells me that, you know, you're, you're, um, you're doing really good. Your heart's probably healthier than 99% of everyone else's hearts your age, so you don't need to worry. Um, and then he'll, then, then he, and then this is a great report, right? And then he says to me, um, but your, your cholesterol is like one point too high. One point too high. Just, just one. 
And I'm like, but I eat brilliantly, kind of. I don't eat sugar, like pretty much at all, unless my daughter's like, Daddy, when are you ever going to have an ice cream with me? And I'm like, all right, fine, I'll have one. Once a month or something like that. But I eat pretty good. You know, I could tighten up on some things. Now, what, what, I, what I've done in the past, what a lot of other people have done is they'll be like, well, um, in that moment they're like, or maybe they get like 250 points above what it should be. And in that moment they're like, I better fix this or I'm going to die. But when the intensity of it's gone, when the fear sort of subsides, because it does, it subsides, you're just back to normal. You're just going to live how I was. Maybe for a week I ate a salad once every four days, and then it's gone. See, I don't want to live like that. And when the doctor told me one point over, I was like, all right. So I just completely changed my diet. It's been a few months now, and, I, and I'm still doing it because I refuse to have a moment of heightened anxiety and fear where I say I'm going to change things, but then I don't where I get a warning, an alarm bell, a ding, 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 going off. And then what, next week I'm just, or I'm gonna have two weeks of a salad once every three days. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a dietitian, by the way, so just this is not diet advice. But when the emotions are high, yes, you need to come down, but to make a plan. To make a plan. The coming down from it isn't so that you can forget about it. It's so that you can fix it. Right? right? Yeah. Come on. People do it in marriage all the time. Yeah. Oh, the amount of times people have called me at 2 a.m. in the morning where they want to kill each other. No, don't do it. Insurance payment's not worth it. They're in this in, in, intense pressure. And, and, and they've been there, they, they get there regularly. They want to kill each other. They feel like they hate each other. Why are we even bothering? We should just get divorced, but just maybe we should call Pastor Jesse first. So they call me up and I go over there. And then two days later, well, they feel better. They've had makeup experiences. And they're like, well, at least this is good. <laughs> they get over the bump. And they think they don't need to deal with anything anymore. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they're like, we're all good. We slept together in the same room. We must be better. Even though every three months, like clockwork, they want to stab each other. Yeah. But the second they get over the hump, they're like, She'll be right, mate. We'll get it worked out. No, 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 no. You come down from the high and you, you need to remember the pain of the high and make a plan so you don't have to climb that mountain again. You can climb it again. You can be like Abraham and be like, let's do this again with Abimelech in a few years. Or you can go back and fix whatever it is that's causing these symptoms. Find in America, people are like, just give me the pill, give me the pill, give me the pill. Not just America, the Western world. We just in America, that's what I say. Love America. Anti-America, I'm not anti-America. Love America. 
But I do find in America and the West that we, we want these quick fixes. Did the 2 a.m. phone call to the pastor fix my marriage? Not once ever has the 2 a.m. phone call to the pastor fixed your marriage. Just like the blood pressure pill won't fix your health. You might want to fix some other things that are causing it. Hello. I'm not a doctor. I do know it may also be hereditary. But you're probably not in the 1%. You're probably in the 99 where there are things you can do to fix it permanently rather than Band-Aids and pills. And, you know, you could, you could take a pill for your anxiety or you could learn to go for a run, which all research shows is 10 times better than any pill you could ever take. But we want the pill. We don't want to do the work. And when we, when, we, when we live like that, we end up back in the hole like Abraham. Because we didn't want to do the work. We came down from the high and we just forget about it. Who knows Abraham and Sarah had some issues in their marriage, right? Didn't they? Didn't they? They had some issues in their marriage. Pretty jacked up marriage. They had some issues in their faith with God, or at least Abraham did anyway. The issue wasn't new. It had been, it had been, it had come back, I don't know how many times, whether it was once a month or once a year or once every five years, but but they, they didn't deal with the problem in, in, in their marriage and in Abraham's faith. Yeah. A closer look at the text and we can see exactly where this begun. Check this out. When Bimi asks Abe, that would be Abimelech, asks Abraham, why did you do this to me? Abraham, in what seems to be a moment of honest vulnerability, actually, admitted, he goes, when God caused me, I, I love this, it's God's fault, right? Well, if you didn't, what is it, like Adam? That woman you gave me, right? Right, it's your fault, but... But when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to Sarah, this is the kindness you must do me at every place. Wait, how many places? At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. See, in this story, we're not the only ones getting flashbacks. Abraham's getting a flashback. When Abraham walked into that kingdom, his mind immediately flashes back to the fear he's been carrying since the moment God called him out of his hometown. The fears he's had the whole time. God gave me a smoking hot wife and someone's going to kill me to take her. This, that fear didn't just pop up in that kingdom. He's had that fear the whole time. And he's been planning to deceive everyone all along the way to deal with that fear. God's called me out of this land of safety into a world of trouble. And so instead of dealing with the fear at that time, he sets in play a scheme, a plan, a way to solve that problem on his own. He leans into Sarah and he says to her, hey, when we go where God's called us to go, people are going to notice how hot you are. Now, Sarah, blushing, she's thinking, that's my man. He's so encouraging. It started off good, didn't it? Like, just, hey, baby, when, 
people are going to notice that you're hot. That is the start of a good pickup line for your wife, is it not? Like, hey, baby, you're so hot. Everybody knows. Talk about it everywhere. And then it goes downhill from there. So everywhere we go, just say that you're my, that you're my sister. So that when they want to take you, and they're going to take you. But they don't kill me. At that moment, I imagine she'd be going, you're not so great. Right at the start, Abram made the plan that instead of trusting in God to protect him and to protect his wife and to protect his life, they'd deceive everyone everywhere they go and lie about the state of their relationship. The admission in verse 13 would seem to indicate that these two stories of deception had been the routine, not the exceptions. Would it not? These, maybe there were no others, but that, that, that admission in verse 13 indicates to me that this is just two of the stories in a cluster of stories that we're being told about. And that's what happens when you don't deal with what's actually causing the fear or the drama, or the pain, or the hurt in your life, or in your relationship. At some point, it's going to boil over. You got to deal with it. Can I get an amen? You got to stop blaming God for your fear. Oh, this is how you made me. Well, just he made everybody want to sleep with people. And not everybody's doing it like that. He made everybody with certain desires. But we're not animals and we can control them. Can I, right? Like we have free will. We don't have to do what our basic desires want us to do. We can prevent ourselves from losing our temper. We, we, we can be kind when we want to be rude. We, are you with me? This is how you made me, God. We, We've got to stop blaming God and start trusting God. Amen? When we have fear, we've got to stop blaming God for our fears. He's the solution to our fears, not the cause of the fear. And if you don't deal with the root cause of your bad behaviors, if I don't deal with the root cause of my health or the root cause of my behaviors or the root cause of mine and Lauren's blow-ups and fights or whatever else, then we're always going to keep flashing back to them. If you're calling the pastor at 2 a.m. in a heated argument, just because you feel better tomorrow doesn't mean that the problem is fixed. You're just in a valley. Just because you're not scared of dying today doesn't mean the problem of what the doctor said to you is fixed. Hello? Yeah? Just because you're... Just because your co-workers like you today doesn't mean that, 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 that your problem is fixed. Just because you, you, got, to, to, just because the, you, you got to work on time this one time doesn't mean that this sleeping in laziness thing is fixed. It, it's going to catch up to you. See, you, last night the pastor helped you find a Band-Aid, but you still need surgery. There's still something in there that needs to come out. 
You don't have to keep lying about the state of your marriage. You don't have to keep pretending that everything's okay. You, you can actually just admit to people that we look real good on Sundays, but you ought to see us on Mondays and Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays are pretty good, but, 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 but Saturdays are bad. Like you, you can actually be honest and just be like, it's pretty jacked up, honestly. Instagram looks great, but it's a mess. You can actually get healing. You don't have to have another blow up in four weeks. You know that? You don't have to have another blow up in four weeks. But if you just cruise between, if you just come down off last week's blow up and just leave it, you will have another blow up. You will. You can get new tires on your car, but if your wheel alignment doesn't get fixed, you're just going to blow up the next tire 10 times quicker than you were supposed to. Why, why is my tires wearing out so quick? Well, you, you, you need a wheel alignment. Are you catching what I'm putting down? Yeah? You don't have to be late to work next week. You don't have to wake up hungover tomorrow and take aspirin or Advil or Panadol to tame the headache. Not doing that again. Actually... Seems to have worked out all right. I might take another one tomorrow. You can stop treating symptoms and get vulnerable before the Lord and say, Lord, it's time I trust you in this. It's time I stop saying she's my sister and declare she's my wife. If you touch her, God will smoke you. Imagine if that was what Abraham said. Rolls up to Abimelech. This is my wife. If you touch her, my God will destroy you. You know what Abimelech would have done then? Well, I fear the Lord. I ain't touching her. A little bit of boldness, a little bit of faith in God, and you can have a healing. You can have victory. It's time to be honest and deal with the problem and trust God. Amen. Galatians 6 says, God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. It does catch up. Like with, with God, all things are possible yeah. and you should not get divorced. But here's the thing. If you just keep letting it blow up, yeah. you'll probably end up getting divorced. Yeah. Or just be miserable forever. Lauren and I always say we're going to be married and miserable or married and happy. Well, I refuse to be married and miserable, so we're going to have to work on being happy. And that doesn't happen by just walking past the blow-up. Amen? If we just keep walking past the blow-up, eventually I might actually end up miserable and divorced. I think everyone should do this. I have a commitment that I'll never divorce my wife. My wife has a commitment she'll never divorce me. That's her commitment. This is my commitment. But I'm going to live like she might. Hello? I know she won't, but I'm going to live like she might. So I'm not going to walk past the blow up. Amen? We'll deal with it. We'll talk about it. Eventually, the fail will catch up. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. Would you all stand up with me? We're going to open the front for prayer because some people... Here's, I said this to Amanda earlier. I said, um, today, hey, if you're in crisis, listen, if you're in crisis, come to the altar call, okay? If you need some aspirin, come to the altar call. If you need a Band-Aid, come to the altar call. But listen, but above that, and honestly, who I'm really preaching to today is not the people in crisis. If you're in crisis, come get some aspirin, come get a Band-Aid at the altar. Whether it's your marriage, your health, your finances. Oh, don't we do it now, finances? I don't have rent! I need to fix my budget! But then someone helps you with your rent, and we don't even fix it. And three months later, I need rent! So look, if you're in crisis, come and let's pray for a Band-Aid, let's pray for some Advil, Okay. But today's altar call is really for people who are not in crisis. But are in between two of them. We had one. And history would indicate in my life that another one is coming. You know from the patterns of your marriage or the patterns of your finances or the patterns of your health or the patterns of your mind or the patterns of your relationships, whatever it is, you, you, you know that you've just had one and the pattern would indicate there's another one coming. this is an altar call for those who are not in crisis but in the middle and you're sitting here when you're not desperate saying God I need you saying God even though it feels like I don't need you I know I do and in that moment I'm asking you for wisdom for strength and for help in my whatever it is. So, like I said, you're welcome to come too. But right now, if that's you, you're in crisis, yes, but also if you're not in crisis, just come down the front and you're like, I I know that there's one coming at some point in whatever area of your life it is. If your spouse wants to come with you because it's a relationship thing, that's fine. If your spouse wants to come with you just because she loves you and wants to support you or he loves you and wants to support you, that's fine too. But you're just coming down the front saying, look, you know what? I'm actually not in a crisis, most of you. I'm just not in a crisis. But I know it's on the way. And I want to live like that. I I, I don't want to live waiting for the next crisis. I don't want to live worried about when I got to hate my wife again. When I got to hate my husband again. When the doctor's going to warn me again. I'm avoiding the doctor because I know what he's going to (laughs) say. Right? I'm avoiding my wife because I know what she's going to say. You know, you don't have to live in avoidance. You don't have to worry about the next crisis. If you start working on it now, the next one, God willing, will be a little lower. And you might then be like, well, that didn't work. And that would be stupid. I worked on it and it didn't fix it. Most habitual blow-ups aren't fixed in a moment. Just like if you got yellow teeth and you're like, man, I should start brushing my teeth. You're going to brush them one time. You're not going to look in the mirror and be like, oh my goodness, they are amazing. 
but, but you brush them for a minute or two in the morning and a minute or two at night and you just keep doing that. And then, you know, after a few months, one day, suddenly you'll just realize, I've got amazing teeth, right? You don't go to the gym, pound out your 45 pounds because that's all you can do when you first visit. Go home and be like, I am so big. It's, that's not how it works. In fact, you'll go again the next day. And you'll be like, nothing has changed. And the next day, nothing has changed. I'm still so skinny or I'm still so big. I'm, I'm not, I, haven't got, I haven't lost any weight or I haven't put on any muscle. But you do that for three months, six months, a year. At some point, you're going to be like, huh. I look different than I did back then, right? And it's the same with fixing whatever this is that you got going on. If you're like, there will never be another blow up again. Well, if the next one was scheduled for tomorrow, it's probably still coming. But hopefully it's going to be a little better and you're going to have a commitment to keep brushing your teeth. Hmm? I saw a video once that someone talked about love with like my love of my wife. When was the moment you loved her? It's like, well, I don't know. Just one day I realized I do. After however many conversations and interactions and whatever else that we had, because she was nice to me and encouraging to me. She loved the Lord and I liked the way she worshiped and she, though she shouldn't have, she picked up after me. You know, and she cooked for me. You know what I mean? Like, and then one day I was like, this chick rocks. But it wasn't like I met her and I'm like, I love you. You know what I mean? These things, it's not one and done. We're going on processes. We're going to brush our teeth a bit more. So look at this like you've got yellow teeth and we're trying to make them white again. We're gonna, it's not going to be fixed because you brush your teeth at the altar today. But when you stay humble and you stay committed to doing the work. Amen? Committed to doing the work. You might forget to brush your teeth one day. Do it the next day. And then stay humble and stay committed to brushing your teeth. Amen? Could you lift up your hands? I'm going to pray for you. And trust me when I say, I hope that the next crisis just doesn't come. But let's plan like it's coming and we're going to do better. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends down the front here. God, they're down here because they're saying, I don't, I don't want to just roll up another mountain and just keep going valleys and peaks and valleys and peaks and valleys and peaks for the rest of my life and jump up and abseil down and springboard up and abseil down, Lord God. God, we're praying right now, Lord God, that you would give them all the wisdom to do better. To take responsibility for the blow-ups in their lives, for the hangovers, for the tardiness at school, for the lateness to work, for the procrastination of the homework or whatever else it is, for the lack of effort in our health, 
Whatever it is, Lord God, we're taking responsibility and we're saying, God, this blow-up didn't come because of you. It came because of us. And God, I pray that you break the shame of it off their lives. There is therefore now no shame or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not here to feel bad about yesterday, but, but, but to commit ourselves to a better tomorrow. And so God, I pray you give them all wisdom. And that wisdom might come in the form of who to talk to, who to get advice from, who to listen to, who to hang around, who to get near, what Instagram accounts to unfollow, what burger shops to steer clear of. Lord God, I pray you give them wisdom in their lives to help make the, these, these, these blow-ups completely disappear and to make the next one just at least a little bit easier. And God, I pray that if another one's coming soon, that you'd help them to realize that yellow teeth aren't fixed in a day and neither's my marriage and neither's my finances and neither's my health, but that Lord, you would help them to stay committed to a better life, to more obedience and to a life of humility that keeps saying, Lord, I know you're not where my fear came from. You're not where my chaos came from. And I know that you are the solution to my fear. You are the solution to my health. You're the solution to my finances, Lord God. You're the solution to my marriage. And and we want you, Lord God, to speak to us. God, I pray for just a great, just dose of hope in every one of them now. That, and especially, Lord, those who are in between crisis, not in crisis, but sitting here in a moment of clarity, making a decision. God, fill their hearts with hope right now. They would stop dreading the next blow up and start marching towards whatever situation is coming with faith and confidence and wisdom. But God, I pray that this would not be like another version of a blow-up where we get passionate in a moment and forget about it tomorrow. God, convict us. God, everyone with open arms, keep your arms up if you want this to be true. Lord, arms are up if we want you to convict us tomorrow and the next day and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. We give you like you need permission, but we want you to know that we do give you permission to get in and mess up our days, to convict us in the middle of the day. Lord God, to keep working on it so we don't end up in that crisis again. God, for those who are in the crisis right now, I I just, God, may they feel your love just saturate their hearts. Like, a, like an Advil for a headache, God. Just, just saturate their hearts. And I pray that you would just fill their heart with enough hope to get through the crisis and then enough wisdom to deal with it instead of walking by. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Could someone say amen? Give the Lord a shout of praise if you believe that.
thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.